Today we're going to be turning to God's Word, beginning with Isaiah chapter 59. And I'm going to open with a couple key verses, which really are another one of these passages in the prophecies that God gave to and through Isaiah that really open up the entire template for the rest of the Bible and the New Testament and everything that is before us. So I'm going to begin with Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 and 21, and then we'll pull back and read through Isaiah 59, verse 14, through Isaiah 60, verse 2, and then turn to, again, to the Apostle Paul, who repeatedly quotes and sees Isaiah as giving the keys to what is happening in the New Testament. We'll turn to, in this case today, to Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, indeed, may we be your vessels, your witnesses. Lord, as we bring your tithe and our offerings, as we make our commitments to the new year, as we commit ourselves to serve you, may we serve your purposes and glorify you and teach us and equip us that your words might be in our mouths forever, your spirit upon us and in us, bringing us new life in power for your purposes. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So these two key verses, then, as I said, we'll pull back and read a little bit more broadly in this context. Hear now God's word from Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 and 21. This is the New Testament. This is the template, both for Christ's coming and his ultimate return as well. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn, who repent, from transgression declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says Yahweh, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you, he's speaking to an individual here, my spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. In other words, eternally. And now let's read the broader context here. We have a, a really dark situation where not only externally, but internally, the nation of God's people is living under total injustice and evil and darkness. Again, the situation here for Isaiah himself deals with that time leading up to the, the dominance of the Assyrian Empire and ultimately looking ahead to the future Babylonian conquest, etc., all the way through the time of Jesus, all the way through this day. So the problem is not only external, it's also that the people of God are not being faithful and there are no leaders. There's no savior within the people to deliver them from injustice and oppression to light and life. So God says, I will step in. How will God step in? Well, then we see the plan emerge of God, our warrior, who sends the warrior to save us. So hear this, um, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares. Truth just isn't standing up anymore in the public squares. 
and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. In other words, anybody who stands up and speaks out against evil becomes a target for the evil. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him. Literally in the Hebrew, it appalled him. It was evil in his sight, that there was no justice. He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no one, no one, in other words, on earth to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands, he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. In other words, from the far east. He will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord, this is Ruach Yahweh, the, the spirit of the Lord, the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn, who repent, who shub, who turn from transgression, those who repent, declares the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant. This is my covenant. This is the new covenant here in the New Testament, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And now over to the Apostle Paul, who quotes this in understanding what is going on in New Testament and the early New Testament, early church times with Israel and indeed with all of God's plan for deliverance. From Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, right? Back to Isaiah 59, the close, that pivot point. The deliverer will come from Zion he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this 
will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Triumph in God's plan. In this three-part, three-sermon series that we've had this fall, we've been talking about thanking God for his plan, trusting his plan. We are called, you are called, we are together called to give thanks that God has a plan. And, and God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. He is working things out in our lives and for his kingdom purposes, for his glory and our good. We give thanks to him for that and we trust him in that. You know, one of the ways that we palpably trust, you can say, well, I kind of felt it for a moment. One of the ways that we really trust in the kind of fruit that God talks about is bringing our trust-based, faith-based commitments to worship him, to give first and foremost to him, to serve first and foremost the Lord Almighty in his church and out in the world as we move into the new year. Well, so thank him for his plan, trust his plan, and today, triumph, triumph in God's plan, triumph in and through God's plan. If you're following along with the notes, you'll see the, the movements here laid out. And number one is this news, God is a warrior. Let me repeat that. God is a warrior. Yes, it's true. In a week, we'll start Advent and we start getting focused on, isn't baby Jesus so cute? I mean, that's the tendency in our flesh. Okay, let me explain this to you. When we celebrate Advent, Everything that the scripture says about who baby Jesus is, is that he is the one who brings the sword of the spirit coming out of his mouth. He is the one who brings God's judgment and God's deliverance, God's deliverance from evil. And for all those who repent and turn to him, he brings in the kingdom. That's what he talks about in his entire ministry. The kingdom is come. The kingdom comes by God vanquishing evil. So we need to understand that. Some people have said to me, well, it seems like Christmas ought to just be kind of a joyful time. It is a joyful time, but it's a joyful time that celebrates God, the warrior, the king, and the king who has come, his son, Jesus. God is a warrior. Jesus is a warrior and his word and his spirit. Let me repeat that. His word and his spirit equip us. He puts his word and his spirit in us for war warfare, spiritual warfare. Who is God? Exodus chapter 15, verse three. Let me introduce you to God. A lot of Christians kind of forget this. Exodus 15, three, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Psalm 24, verse eight. Who is the king of glory? Who is he? Who is God? Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. We've been talking about the fact that even more than the book of the Psalms, Isaiah's prophecies repeatedly refer to God as Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Who are the host? That's the heavenly armies. Who are the heavenly armies? His angelic armies, his host. 
I preached about angels a couple years ago during Advent. You may remember that sermon where I talked about the fact that angels are not fat, cute little cherubs. They are warriors. They are, they are. When Jesus is being arrested, he says, don't you understand? I could right now call down a legion of angels. And you could ask, well, what would Jesus be calling this little cute group of cherubs down to sing a little children's song while he's being arrested? No, he's talking about the fact that angels are awesome, terrifying, really, to evil warriors. Okay, that's what he's talking about. So the angelic host, the host of heaven that worships God, these are warrior. <laughs> these are warrior angels. Isaiah uh, chapter 42, verse 13, flowing out of the first of the four key servant prophecies or psalms. Listen to this. The Lord goes out like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. Isaiah 42, 13. The message of Isaiah is that God is a warrior who has a battle plan to redeem and save his people and vanquish evil. That's who God is. Now, he calls us, if you are a Christian, let me explain this to you. Christianity 101, you are a spiritual warrior. And if you say, well, I never do that or I never thought about that, you obviously are missing the gospel as well as the whole point of why he has saved us for our engagement on this earth until he comes again. There is spiritual warfare going on. You could say, well, I kind of miss that. I don't perceive that. Yeah, I mean, a foreign army could be invading America right now, and probably some of us would be just be looking at our cell phones and enjoying TikTok videos or something like that. Yeah, I get that you can totally miss it, but we're not supposed to miss it if his spirit is in us and if we are reading and growing in his word. We are called to spiritual warfare. Paul talks about this. You notice that in Isaiah 59, you may have said, that sounds kind of familiar, you know, breastplate of righteousness. All that. that sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, that's right, because Paul, in large part, as I've been telling you, is a running commentary on the book of Isaiah. And we see Paul also picking up Isaiah 59 in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now notice that. Is it our armor? It's his armor, which means God is a warrior, victorious God. Okay, so we're supposed to put on God's armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And you could say, I'm not seeing any of that going on. Well, I would encourage you to open up your eyes in the Holy Spirit and understand there is a spiritual battle going on, not only overseas, not only in certain pockets of the world, but in the United States of America, in the state of Mississippi, in our own community, folks. This is spiritual warfare. Probably, I can guarantee you this, whatever higher 
educational institution you're engaged with, there are spiritual warfare things going on. Even in our own homes, as we head into Thanksgiving, we need to understand this. Part of what you're being sent to be in your own household is somebody who is aware of spiritual warfare. But let me make this very clear. We talked about this because I'm studying Proverbs with my Sunday school group. That does not mean you go into your family Thanksgiving to get into fights with people. Okay? That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about engaging in God's purposes uh, to bring about truth, but not by coercing people, but to speak it in grace and in peace. Okay. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You know, the most pitiful thing is when you see some, a, a soldier who doesn't equip himself and the battle's already started and he's scrambling around trying to play catch up. It's not a good thing. We're supposed to be ready like every day. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, and as shoes for your feet, having put on uh, the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. How conversant are you with this? Are you living it? You know, as someone who uses like a gun or a sword, they better know how to handle it. And they better be, it needs to be second nature, like coming, okay? So the same kind of thing is what this, the Bible is saying here about the scripture for us as Christians. Um, praying at all time in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. Wait a minute, prayer? Yes, that gets us to um, point number two. True, godly prayer, Bible study, worship, giving, serving, ministry, these are all spiritual warfare. Okay, this is not just a maintenance mode. We don't turn in our pledges or we don't serve or give or, or witness just to kind of keep things kind of, I don't know, put together like a business. We are talking about spiritual warfare, folks. Uh, and everything you do is spiritual warfare when it's truly given to God. If you say to me, I didn't pray very much last week, I'll say, you didn't engage faithfully in spiritual warfare. If you say, we don't pray a whole lot in my marriage, I'll say, you're a fool. Okay, I love you, but you're a fool. The devil is particularly interested in Christian marriages. The devil is particularly interested in children in Christian households. If you're not praying powerfully in the Holy Spirit, you're already losing the battle coming out of the gate. The other side of this coin is this, true godly prayer, Bible study, worship, giving, serving, is spiritual warfare and serves the King of Kings in his plan.
And we're to do that in the spiritual warfare until Christ returns and subdues all evil under his feet and ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, when he does that, I wonder how he's going to come. Well, here it is again, Revelation 19, 11 and following. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and does what? Wages war. That's Jesus. When he comes again. So we're to be engaged, looking ahead to his return, and engaged day by day in powerful, faithful prayer, engagement in his word, because if you are a Christian, you are subject to attack. It's guaranteed. Jesus promises that. But you can be promised this, that God, his plan, and his son are infinitely more powerful than all the forces of evil on earth arrayed against you, all the cosmic powers, all the satanic powers in the cosmic and heavenly realms, he has and will overcome them. But you need to be in touch with him. We need to be in touch with him. So number three, I have good news. First Presbyterian Church, Starkville, our family ministries and our other ministries and our mission partners are right now carrying out God's spiritual warfare. I love it when I see our youth group meeting Sunday nights and particularly on Wednesday nights. I don't know if you've walked out after the Bible study, if, if you don't have to stay for choir, maybe even if you are staying for choir, when you walk out and you see in the back part of our property there, all those teenagers gathered around and Dean and Will and Maddie and our other leaders leading them to be engaged in the call of Jesus on their lives. I was thrilled that Maddie had the opportunity, uh, and I hope some of you were praying about this, this past Friday night, it was awesome. We had a dozen teenage girls here for a teenage girls retreat here at First Presbyterian. Because you need to understand this, and you need to be praying for our young people right now. Uh, let me just tell you this, that in the last eight, nine years, Although certainly heading into the 21st century, uh, anxiety issues, depression issues, identity issues, suicide concerns were high, they started going through the roof. I mean, secular psychologists and sociologists have noted this. There was a sea change in a new just breakout at a pandemic level. You want to talk about COVID-19, let let's talk about the psychological situation of our preteens, teens, and young adults in that I generation, the generation of Z. All of a sudden around 2012, 2013, the anxiety levels, suicidal type concern levels, and identity issues, who am I, I need to change myself radically, all that stuff went through the roof. Well, what was happening around 2012, 2013? I can tell you one thing that happened around then. By then, most Americans were obtaining smartphones, okay, and other technology, and also the social media went through the roof around that stage, and all of a sudden we have an entire generation of children, teenagers, and young adults who live their lives out of what is provided by digital technology, social media, the latest, greatest craze, the latest, greatest concerns. It is a, it's a, it's an oppression 
a potential for oppression that, that many of us did not have. Those of us who are like the greatest generation, we got a few still in this congregation. This is a different era of spiritual warfare and spiritual concern. But you know what? Friday night, um, Maddie had uh, this retreat. And Maddie, why don't you come up? I want you to tell us for a minute what happened in this retreat and what you guys talked about. One of the great things that's going on with our youth program right now is about, when I go back there on Wednesday nights, about a third of the kids are not actually members of our church. They're being brought by, you know, as friends. And so we're reaching some girls and boys who aren't even in a church family, I think. Would you tell us about uh, Friday night, Matt? Hey y'all, first of all, I just wanna say thank you for all the parents who came and helped out and provided food and just everything y'all did to help out. But I am really grateful for the time we had on Friday. Uh, I had a friend, Lakin Davis, who's in Delight Ministries at Mississippi State, and she came and talked on identity, on who we are in Christ, why we are that, and how we can apply that practically in our lives. And just with a lot of the issues that we're just facing today, I think it was a really important conversation just to center who we are on the person that is Christ and to know how we can go out into the world and live that practically. But yeah, it was a lot of fun, and... I hope we get to have more opportunities like that soon. Yeah, and you're seeing, Maddie, as you minister to our young young women, there are these rising levels of concern, right? So is it important for us to be praying and ministering? Yes, very much so. Awesome. Thank you, Maddie. We really, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that we had this retreat. I want to thank all of y'all who were involved and supported this. And really all of our ongoing church members and stewards, you need to understand you are engaged in a larger plan of God. I also want to tell you that I had a meeting just this past week with Doug Barclay from our Mission India uh, mission partnership and great news, including through you know, through your regular giving, you support those children's literacy clubs in the state of Bihar in northeastern India. Now, most of us probably don't go to Bihar for our girls' weekends away and stuff like this, but you know what? You have impacted hundreds of families who are from Hindu, Muslim, and Sikh background who have come to Jesus in just the last, just in 2021. Let me explain this to you. Through what you've been doing with your giving, with your serving, with your praying, God has used that through a mission partner like Mission India. The, the reports I get here say with one of our contingent of children's Bible literacy clubs, 128 children received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, these are non-Christian children now. Uh, 41 children were baptized, and 28 parents came to Christ and were baptized. Uh, so you've impacted, and then in, with our other contingent of uh, children's Bible literacy groups of clubs, 43 children received Christ, 43 parents received Christ, 31 children were baptized, and 34 parents were baptized. Now, we're talking about just the last few months. Isn't that awesome? Dozens of families who were living in darkness have come to the light through your support of First Presbyterian Church and through First Presbyterian's mission partnership with children's Bible literacy programs throughout the state of Bihar in India. And that occurred during COVID. These numbers would be far greater probably if we weren't dealing with COVID. I want to also point out that your support of the United Kingdom Partnership includes and extends to the fact that I'm just seeing something amazing going on in London. 
was able to visit with some of the leaders of the London Project a couple months ago, you, you know that evangelical Christianity is exploding in London. Yes, it's true, the numbers of Muslims in London, that that number is rising, but the other number that's growing at the same level, at comparable levels, and this is not by birth or immigration, this is by gospel ministry, you know, over 6% of people in London now attend a Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching church. I mean, that's up from 2% just a few years ago. That, that's an explosion. That could rock the world. It could certainly rock the United Kingdom during this time. And those are churches that we're involved with, with the London Project. Our friends who helped host me and host Nancy when we were just there a couple months ago. God is moving, God has a plan, and we can rejoice that we're part of it. Fourth, let's talk about that gospel plan for a moment. Uh, it's laid out in Isaiah 59 through Isaiah chapter 60, and certainly that entire segment of Isaiah that I talked about uh, last week. Remember, there's these three segments of nine chapters in Isaiah chapter 40 through 66. Uh, you move from the one that keys on the servant and his sacrificial death for us and his ushering in the turning point of history in Isaiah chapter 49 through 57. And all of a sudden you get to 58 and what's going to happen? Well, it turns out we move from the son to the implementation of a new people through the son by the Holy Spirit. Remember, father, son, Holy Spirit. So we're now in this segment of Isaiah where God's people will be, in fact, redeemed under his redeeming act of sacrifice. They will be transformed and they will be mobilized and a new Zion will emerge. That's exactly what we just read about. God will step in, redeem his people and put his spirit and his words in them in a way that will not be removed. The spirit was removed from King Saul. The spirit can be removed in the Old Testament, but all of a sudden under this new covenant that we just read about in Isaiah 59, the spirit and the words will not be removed. Through Christ, he will have offspring that will live forever in God. Who are the offspring of the servant that God is addressing in Isaiah 59? Well, let's go back to the middle, Isaiah 53, the servant's song about him dying for our sins. And listen to this. This is the beginning of the final, the fifth stanza of the fourth servant song, Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to crush Jesus, the servant who dies for our sins. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. This is what Isaiah 59 is talking about, this offspring who are going to have the spirit and the words forever. They are the offspring of the servant who has died on the cross for us. That's what God's word just said. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord will prosper his hand. That's the promise God makes to Jesus, his servant, who carries out the ultimate warfare to save us. You could say, wait a minute, Jesus died. That's right, he rises again. You could say, but wait a minute, Jesus doesn't have a biological family. Exactly. We are his family, all of us who are saved in him. And we will have his words and his spirit forever. And he gives us this to engage in his kingdom warfare plan. 
That's what God just said. That's what this scripture just points us to. And ultimately, the scripture points us to this. In the New Covenant, in the New Testament, he has forged for us, we triumph in and through God's plan when we worship powerfully in the Holy Spirit. When we give powerfully, generously, trusting God in the Holy Spirit, when we serve powerfully in the Holy Spirit, when we witness for him and name the name of Jesus, even in a world that tends not to want to hear about Jesus. Because when we do, we know this. We will share in his triumph forever. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, believe, engage, join the one who has paid the ultimate price, gone through the ultimate battle to save your soul, and will return again for all those who long for his appearing, who are engaged in the fight that brings peace and grace through Christ our Lord, now and forever, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.